It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. After my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash getmore. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine. We're going to roll with the NWA music this week. A lot to get to on Twitter, at James Rapine, at Locked On Bengals. Subscribe on iTunes, audioboom.com. Also, the iHeartRadio app, a ton on the website, LockedOnBengals.com. Video. Uh, of a bunch of plays that we're going to talk about with Joe Goodberry. Joe on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. He's got some stuff that he's working on. Uh, check his workout at bengalswire.usatoday.com. Also going to be contributing to lockedonbengals.com as well. Joe, one of these times, we are going to do a weekly film review that results or is following a Bengals win. Today is not one of those times. Uh, no, we haven't had that yet, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, you know, I was going to say, you start 0-3, and, and only three teams have made it since uh, 1998, I believe it was. Um, it, you know, made the playoffs since 0-3, so it sucks to be in this position already. Yeah, it does. I mean, I looked yesterday going into the game, and Pittsburgh loses to Chicago, which should never happen. Baltimore gets their head kicked in by Jacksonville, and I'm like, oh, man, and the Bengals get off to the start that they got off to, and it just seemed like the perfect formula where, oh, they could be right back in it. It didn't happen. Um, Let's dive into the film. You've reviewed it. You've looked at it. Let's start with Andy Dalton because going into this game, there was plenty of speculation on where uh, what would happen with Andy Dalton? Obviously, Bill Lazor, the new offensive coordinator, in there. Early on, it seemed like the offense was in sync. It seemed like the offense was doing exactly what we wanted it to do, get it to the playmakers, uh, but they only scored three points in the second half. What did you see from the Bengals quarterback that you liked? What did you see from the Bengals quarterback that you didn't like? Yeah, those those first uh, couple drives were exactly what you would want, especially that first one. Um, they made an effort to get it to green. They got the ball out quickly, uh, swing passes to, to Mixon, using Mixon, everything we've asked for. Uh, that that throw, that touchdown, the green, honestly is one of Dalton's best career throws. You rarely get to see him throw it into a tight window with anticipation and accuracy and ball placement. Uh, it wasn't a tight spiral, but it didn't matter. It got there, and Green made a, made a heck of a catch. That it was a great throw, great throw. Um, the rest of the game was more – when Laser schemed it open, 
they move the ball. For example, the, the touchdown to Geo was a great call, great design. You split Geo up to the right. It shows you what coverage the Packers are in, which was man. Um, they bring Dalt. I mean, they bring Geo back in next to Dalton, and from there they know exactly what they're doing. They're going to bring Geo across the field and into the flats, just dump it off to him. And the the confusion should be uh, between two rookies, uh, which is a safety and a, a linebacker, I believe, or a safety in a corner. And they um, and if everything goes right for the Bengals, it could leave him wide open. Even if it, even if not, even if there wasn't confusion there, that guy's got to come across the field really and cover Gio into the flats. I think you still have the advantage. So, again, a lot of the plays were just swing passes, um, screens, run pass options, which I, we've asked for. You get a lot of easy slants to A.J. Green off of those because you're showing run at, at the same time and Dalton can pick it at the line, which is the best uh, opportunity. So those were all good. On the negative – once those twenty plays were done, those the, you know the first three drives, they managed three points, and I thought Dalton was very poor outside of those first two, first couple of scoring drives. He didn't want to force the ball. Um, he, he didn't check out of obvious run situations where the defense was run blitzing and loading the box. And this is something we talked about: the defenses that don't don't care about Tyler Boyd, they don't care about Brandon LaFell. You take Eifert off the field, they really don't care. They were loading the box every time the Bengals were under center, and Dalton hasn't changed plays at all this year. I don't know what's going on. I remember when he had Hugh and Jay Gruden. Um, he'd be at the line changing stuff all the time. We have not seen that at all. I don't know what's going on with that, but they can't get out of a bad play to save their life. And, and so many plays, so many second and eight, third and nine, third and seven, it's just – Hard to pass protect when you've got a good defensive coordinator that can scheme some things up and, and, and blitz corners and drop coverages and, and fire zone blitz and really take green away. This offense is completely neutered in those situations. It's, if you watch the telecast, Tony Romo did a great job breaking it down. There's a few stretches of plays where Romo just airs Dalton out for decision-making, for not seeing open guys, for not changing the play, um, for not seeing blitzers. And I think it was really telling to see the comparison between Rodgers and Dalton as the game wore down into that fourth quarter and then overtime. And it, it just, I think it turned a lot of people off again, even more to Dalton than what he's shown this year. He's Joe Goodberry. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Yeah, there was one point in the broadcast, uh, Joe, where, where Tony Romo talked about a, it was a third down and Andy Dalton's right there in the pocket. And there's video of this at lockedonbengals.com. And there's a little pressure around him, but there's not enough to where you, would, you wouldn't see Aaron Rodgers bail out of the pocket under this circumstance. You wouldn't even see a, a Dak Prescott bail. Andy Dalton feels that pressure, and instead of keeping his eyes downfield, Brandon LaFell's wide open eight yards in front of him, right running right across his face on third and 11. Would have been a huge conversion. No one was near LaFell. Would have, would have been the conversion, too. He would have gotten the first down. Instead, Andy pulls it down, t- tucks it, rolls out, and ends up throwing it away. They get called for grounding because the the ball, I guess, didn't get to the line of scrimmage. But that's an example that I think most uh, that Tony Romo pointed out, which was good. That most Bengals fans don't realize that that Andy misses a lot of opportunities. He leaves a lot out there at times. And those three third downs in a row. That was the last one of similar situations happening where Dalton hits his back foot, whether it's a you know just a hitch and a throw from shotgun, a quick throw, or a two or three step drop. Um, but he hits that back foot, and if he doesn't see it, uh, he's 
dropping his eyes, he's bending his knees, he's dropping the ball, he's turning into a runner. And it doesn't allow you to go through reads. It doesn't allow you to make a quick adjustment and dump the ball off. They had three failed uh, third downs in a row. And and in the crunch time, late third quarter, fourth quarter, where you just need three more points, you just need to score one more time and maybe put this game away. And Dalton couldn't keep his eyes up. He couldn't see the field. Um, he's seeing ghosts out there. He, he thinks LaFell's covered and he's wide open. I, it, there's no other reason for it. He looks directly in that in that in that spot, um, and he, he bails the pocket. And this is with barely any pressure. I thought their offensive line was decent yesterday. You could win with what that offensive line put out on the field. I think the last two weeks, um, for as bad as they are, and they are a bad unit, so you have to protect them. You have to do some different things, and it looks like they are. You could win with this, and. He just couldn't get out of his own way. I, I thought there was a stretch there for three or four drives where I don't think you could win with that guy at quarterback. Joe, there's going to be plenty of Bengals fans, and I know you've gotten it on Twitter. I've gotten it on Twitter. The A.J. McCarron crowd, uh, it seems to be getting louder and louder. What are your thoughts? Uh, because you've studied A.J. McCarron. You watched every snap of his preseason. Hell, you've watched every snap of his career. Is that a guy that you would turn to based on what you've seen from Andy Dalton in three games? I'm of two minds of it. Uh, the first couple of weeks when Dalton was playing poor, I said, no, you don't go to McCarron. Um, you you got to stick with Dalton uh, for now because Dalton's better. As the season spirals out of control and all hopes for this season starts to get lost, I think you do start to look to McCarron, not only to provide a spark this year, I think to make sure you know what you have in him before you make any decisions at quarterback. And I'm not saying he's the quarterback of the future, but he may be the starter next year. If you cut ties with Dalton and you draft the quarterback, you may start McCarron for a year and allow your guy to develop. So I think when you try to evaluate the rest of the team, and you're almost in that mode now of you're in player evaluation mode, you need to know what you have at every position going forward. Uh, if you're a GM looking at it from that perspective, I think. Um, so it's hard to evaluate everyone else when your quarterback is limiting so many plays and killing so many plays, I think the same would be said for Russell Bodine at center. Same would be said for Cedric Aboye at left tackle. They already uh, pulled Fisher a little bit in favor of Andre Smith. I think you start making those decisions because it's hard to evaluate the good players. It's hard to evaluate the young guys when you have such inconsistencies at major positions. And I'm not saying McCarron will be better. I'm not saying he is better. But as bad as Dalton is playing right now, you may get more consistency. You may get more of an opportunity to evaluate everybody else with McCarron just running the plays as they're drawn up um, at quarterback. And which right now, you're not getting all of that from Dalton. And that's something you always got from him. And it made it easier to, to game plan. It made, it made it easier to scheme other guys open. It made it easier to use the weapons around you. But right now, you're not getting that consistency, that automatic play from Dalton that you might get from McCarron. So if you, if you want to start screaming for McCarron, that's fine, but I think in context of, yeah, he may not be the quarterback of the future, but anything may be better than Dalton right now, and we need to start using uh, the, the remaining season to evaluate everyone else around him, and it's hard to do that right now with Dalton at quarterback. Yeah, Joe, I think there's one thing I remember, and it was the fourth preseason game, and I know it's going up against a bunch of guys that are doing this or doing something that isn't playing in the NFL now. But A.J. McCarron had to go in after Jeff Driscoll got injured. And that line, I, I just remember A.J. McCarron getting hit and hit and hit. And yet somehow he, he just kept driving the, the team downfield. Is that something that maybe McCarron could just be better under pressure, be a little more poised? Maybe he's not as physically gifted even as Andy. But the fact that, I don't know, maybe he's been through the wars almost. I know people remember his days at Alabama. 
Could he be better under pressure, under duress, than Andy Dalton is at this point? Well, people said McCarron is a gamer. They say he's a winner. Um, I don't that's, know. If I that's the Tebow. That yeah, I know. Ugh. Right. Uh, so, well, people said the same about Dalton. Go back to his bowl game as a senior, and he in that uh, run option where he beats um, JJ Watt to the corner for a touchdown. I mean, it's different sometimes in college. It, your confidence is sky high. You got a great team around you. you you've been a starter for four years. You're confident. You, you look like a winner because. Good teams win, good players win in college. Um, so in the NFL, what have we seen from McCarron? And I wouldn't say we, we have seen much better pocket presence in, in, in management, but he's not the same athlete as Dalton. Dalton's not a tremendous athlete, but McCarron is definitely a little bit less. He relies on his legs a little bit less. He, he tries to remain a passer a little bit more than Dalton does. Um, I wouldn't say that that means he's much more comfortable in the pocket because I think the Bengals' scheme also wants them to get the ball out so quickly, and there's no, and the receivers, because of it, have been affected to where they really don't know what to do after two and a half seconds, and their route is done. So maybe if it was built around McCarron, you could have a little bit different, and if you know you start McCarron the last six to eight weeks, maybe you get different results that way. But at, at, at the end, um, you got to wonder if, if – Maybe McCarron hangs in the pocket just a little bit more because watching Dalton, you're seeing the worst of his pocket presence in seven years. It's something I've harped on for seven years, mm -hmm. but now you're seeing the worst of it. So maybe McCarron is, even if he was um, similarly graded in that aspect uh, as a prospect and as what he's shown in his you know, four or five games, maybe just him being at the average of, of what he normally is would be better than Dalton in that scenario. And if so, I think you get a lot more plays off. You may get a lot more production out of quarterback. And again, I'm not one who thinks McCarron is, is a better player than Dalton, but Dalton is playing the worst as, he's, as he has in seven years. Now it becomes actually a consideration. Yeah, Joe, and, and let's stick one more question with the offense, because going into this game, I kept it pretty simple here uh, on the podcast. Get the ball to your playmakers. And, and I think they did that. Uh, first, two-part question almost. First part, Mixon, Green, they get a total of 31 touches yesterday. Second part, it seems like Brandon LaFell, Tyler Boyd, really not in the mix. I know you, you tweeted out a stat, uh, their stats. I don't know if you have those in front of you. But what, yep. what was your uh, idea or what did you think of the way they integrated the, the entire offense, an offense that was supposed to have a ton of weapons, obviously Eifert and Ross out yesterday, but it, it was the, the Green and the Mixon show. What, what did you think about that? Yeah, and Wade, the, their offense is constructed, including health right now. It has to be the Green and Mixon show. Agreed. Um, you had, 31 touches sounds great. I would, I'd love to see that every single week from those two. I think some of Mixon's touches came at the expense of Giovanni Bernard. Hill still got his seven carries, eight, one catch, eight, eight total touches out of 15, 14 snaps, which seems crazy to me that they put him in for 14 snaps and he's touching the ball eight times, but that's pretty much what they've done three weeks in a row. Uh, that's not a tip-off to the, to the defense. I don't know what is. But so Mixon's increased touches came at the expense of Gio, and I'm not sure that helps. I'm not sure that helps the offense. Again, Gio looked good. He looks fry. He had that one nice run uh, up the middle on an inside zone from shotgun. Uh, so while I'm happy with the mix in touches and the increased touches, I'm still concerned with how they're getting them touches. They keep running from under center, and it's driving me crazy. It's, it's been the last two years. They continue to go under center, and I thought it was just for Jeremy Hill, but now they're doing it with Mixon. They, Mixon never ran with a quarterback under center at Oklahoma. Oklahoma doesn't go under center. So I don't know why they think, oh, big running back, I need to run it from under center, I need to hide the offensive line, I need to have a fullback, whatever the case may be. 
But again, they run 17 times from under center, get 39 yards. That's 2.3 per carry. They run 12 times out of shotgun, get 71 yards, 5.9 per carry. It's just, I don't understand why they continue to, to run their offense uh, with two different playbooks, and one of them is really hindering the team and, and not giving them a chance. I think on the first drive, they were five times under center and gained one play per, per, per one yard per play on that first drive. All the other uh, plays on that scoring drive were out of shotgun where, where they're getting the ball to green, they're getting the mix in out in flats, uh, mix in a nice carry on, up the middle from, from shotgun also. Uh, I just don't know why they don't see that or, or what it is. I know they love the play action from under center, but right now you're not hitting no shots either. So you're not getting the benefit of that. For me, I, I would like to still see a little bit less of Jeremy Hill, even though I don't think he was terrible. I, I think the, the where he was stopped for negative yardage and short yardage um, was more of a breakdown on the offensive line and running right into run blitzing Packers defense, which I think happened way too often. Um, as they're stacking the box, they're really not worried about LaFell. They're really not worried about Boyd. They're not worried about Croft. Well, I think LaFell and, and Boyd combined now for 10 receptions um, for 81 yards total, so an 8.1 yards per catch in three games. And that's out of 19 targets, so they're barely uh, catching over 50% of their targets. That's just unreliable and not a lot of production. I need to start wondering if if if, if Ross isn't healthy, where's Josh Malone? Where's Cody Core? Cody Core, mm-hmm. the most to quote the most improved player on the team this offseason, right? Yeah. He's got two targets so far in three games. Where is he? Did they sell us something that's telling? And he was open on those targets play? too. I know, and yet we don't go back to him. We don't see him at all. Rafael isn't even running out that post. Yeah, yeah, Dalton threw it too far on that play. That could have ended the game right then and there. But Rafael doesn't even run it out. And why is the ball even going to Rafael deep? He's not beating anybody. He hasn't in his whole career. And it, it just drives you nuts because uh, you got guys with size and speed and core and, and Malone, and they're on the bench. And Rafael runs a, a bad route. I posted the video where Dalton takes a sack. LaFell runs his route too deep and right into the green zone. Uh, Dalton drops his eyes. LaFell misses a couple blocks. I've posted clips this year in each each game so far where LaFell misses a key block and a guy either fumbles or, or gets hit behind the line of scrimmage. And it's just, I don't know what you're getting out of these guys. The veteran stuff, when they don't make plays, is inexcusable to me. These young guys need to play. And we're not just talking offense at this point. We're talking all over. Look at the look at the defensive line right now. And playing the young guys, playing the new guys, on the sixth sack against Rodgers, all four defensive linemen weren't here last year. It was Willis, Lawson, um, Glasgow, and Chris Smith on the defensive line, and they still got pressure. Play the young guys. Yeah, play the young guys. By the way, the one thing uh, I was going to switch to defense here, but here's what I'm worried about now, Joe, is I look at this offense, and you, you mentioned LaFell, and I know they love LaFell, and I don't know what Tyler Boyd's status is, especially after being inactive last week. But let's say John Ross, who I'm, I was shocked he was – wasn't healthy enough to play this week to be honest because Wednesday when I talked to him last Wednesday he seemed fine Uh, maybe he tweaked his knee in practice or something like that but when John Ross gets back on the field I'm wondering if they're going to use him and in that hopefully Bill Lazor puts him in a position to succeed but I'm I'm curious how they're going to use him what would you want to see if if you're Lazor what would you do with John Ross in comparison knowing what else you have uh, on the offensive side yeah, and the funny thing is now we never really considered Ross to really take over in the slot full-time. We thought he, maybe he could um, he could rotate in there. You know, you could blow a break here and there. When you got four good receivers, you can mix these guys a little bit around. Yeah. Uh, but when you are, you're deactivating Boyd and then not even using him when he is active, he got one target, one catch, I believe, 10 yards. 
Um, you got to start to consider how do you get Ross on the field? And LaFell's not effective. So Ross can, if he's healthy and he can play, it could be on the outside. It could be taking uh, snaps from LaFell. It can be in the slot taking snaps from Boyd. So far, all they've really shown is a deep ball and a reverse to him. <clears throat> Excuse me, and a reverse uh, jet sweep to, to John Ross. It's got to be deeper than that. You have to use him. You got to put him in motion. You got to use him as a weapon. You got to give him screens, get the ball into his hands. Uh, when he's healthy, it's going to be very interesting because they need to use him. Not only do they want, should you want to use him because he's a young guy and the other guys aren't playing well, the offense is struggling without another speed guy on the field. Uh, we, we continue to harp on it, but it's so true. Ever since Marvin Jones left, it's been a joke with what defenses have, have, have done in coverage and how, how they're just slanted over and tilted over to A.J. Green's side, and then they're, they're, they're defending with an extra safety in the box. It's killing the run game. It's killing your opportunity to get it to your best playmaker and, and A.J. Green. They have to use him, not only because they're losing him because he's a high draft pick, because they need him. I agree with you on John Ross. And it's it's funny now, like I, I've been on such a limb almost, I feel like, with John Ross that now people, anytime he, you know, he fumbled and now he's a bust and all this stuff. So um, I just hope that they put him in a position so we can find out if he's actually good because I think he's really good. <laughs> And it's kind of like the William Jackson thing right now. Yeah. Well, you knew he was good. You know he's good. They find a way to bury him on the depth chart. And I know they, they chose to bring Kerman back last year instead of Jackson uh, You know, towards the end of the year. And who knows how much they would have played Jackson anyways because obviously they have a, have a history of not playing those first-round corners. Um, but now Denard, I think Denard's playing really well. Yeah, he, that touchdown that Watson play in week two, I think is going to stick out for a lot of casual fans. But I think Denard has played very well this this. Uh, this entire year, and considering these are his first three starts of his career for the most part. Um, and then William Jackson, obviously, that pick six. Rodgers has thrown two pick sixes in his career, and Jackson plays it perfectly. I mean, I gave the hardest fist bump because I love Jackson as a prospect. I think he is probably their best corner um, right now. He could probably play and be their best corner. I think Kirkpatrick grabs a little too much. He's a little too flaky up and down, but even though Kirkpatrick, I think, has had a good start to the year. Pac-Man's good, but at his age, at, at the, the longevity and the kind of commitment you have for him, Jackson needs to start eating into those snaps. For him to get no snaps week, week two was inexcusable. Now it looks like they're going to rotate him in again a, a little bit. Hopefully, um, that's part of it. It's part of the equation of playing the young guys, and you could actually get better with them. They don't have a playmaker on the defensive side. No one's getting their hand on the ball in the secondary. And here's Jackson getting his hand on it and returning it for six. Looks super fast doing it, too. Um, you need to get those guys on the field. He's Joe Goodberry on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Make sure you check out his work, bengalswire.usatoday.com. Also, a contributor to Locked on Bengals. Dot com And we're going to get to the Bengals defense in just a second. But, you know, ever since this podcast has started and I've gotten into sports broadcasting years and years ago, I always get asked who I should bet on. Do you got the Patriots? Do you got Pittsburgh? Do you got Detroit? Do you got Chicago? I'll tell you this. Where you're betting, just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I use MyBookie.ag. MyBookie has been in this business for years. Their reputation is rock solid. 100% cash bonuses, by the way. So off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing. And they have the fastest payouts. It takes just two business days. You know who's going to win. I know who's going to win. I've won cash the past couple weekends with mybookie.ag. You can too. I would only recommend this if I've used it and I enjoyed it. I love it. 
Join now. My bookie's going to match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Use promo code LOBENGALS. Locked on Bengals. LOBENGALS is that promo code. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. And, Joe, let's get to Carl Lawson and some of these playmakers on defense. And I think this is interesting. Pro Football Focus. By the way, listening to this podcast, you can get a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription for free. Just go to Locked on Bengals on iTunes, find us, review it, leave your Twitter handle. We're giving a a subscription away once a week. Thank you if you've already reviewed. But, Joe, one thing that I think is interesting, Carl Lawson coming into yesterday was the number one rookie edge rusher for pro football focus. Didn't have any tackles, didn't have any sacks coming into the game. Hell, he had three and a half sacks yesterday, one negated by a penalty down to two and a half. He was amazing. Video of that, by the way on the blog at LockedOnBengals.com. Joe, what did you see from Lawson? What did you see from the rest of the Bengals' pass rush? Because I think they played about as well as anyone could have expected them to. Yeah, and the Packers' offensive line was beat up, so we can say that and, and still go forward and say they they tore up that offensive line. They looked great. Uh, everything you'd want from the young guys um, showed up. Carl Lawson is their best edge rusher right now, and that's crazy to say with Dunlap, but, but Dunlap is more of a power guy. With his length and his size, he gets the quarterback. He gets his hands on the ball, batting passes. But that quick twitch edge rushing from the blind side is so valuable, and that's what Carl Lawson gives. And his length has shown up a little bit. His stiffness has shown up a little bit. I think that's why he has such a such a large amount of pressures versus sacks is because he gets close, but he doesn't get the quarterback down or doesn't get a hand on him. But it, that works. That's production. Disruption is production when you're a pass rusher. And for Lawson, he, he's definitely been a, a big part of that. I thought um, right now he's 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 got that inside power move with that with that inside arm, um, and he's winning that way because he's a threat on, to get around the corner too. So for me, Lawson right now is their best pick. Obviously, they're getting the most production out of, out of him in, in a good rookie class. Uh, I, I think for him, um, we should continue to see increased snaps. Fifty-five snaps yesterday. And a team that likes to pass it a lot and had to pass it a lot, I, I think that's definitely what we should expect uh, going forward in those type of games. Joe, when you look at the the linebackers, and you mentioned playmakers, and obviously they're going to get Vontez Burfick back this week. I think obviously that's going to give them that playmaker that they, they might uh, have been missing the first couple games. But what have you seen from Nick Vigil, Jordan Evans, Kevin Minner, and that linebacking group as a whole without Vontez Burfick? They've been okay. Uh, Too many tight ends, too many crossing routes, too many, you know, same issues they've always had with linebacker and coverage. They don't really cover. They play a zone, and then they come up and tackle. Uh, If you look at pro football focus, uh, because you mentioned them, they're not not graded very high with Nick Vigil right now because uh, I think he's given up like eight catches in coverage for a total of like 40 yards. So five yards per catch. Um, not really bad. That's the Bengals scheme. That's always been that way. They're going to let the guy catch it. They're going to come up and make a tackle. And, and they're going to grade them negative, negatively for that. But for me, I think Vigil's done his job. Uh, I thought he looked better in preseason, but again, he had perfect with him. So hopefully you see a little bit better um, when you get perfect back. Obviously having the guy who brings more energy, brings a little bit more toughness. Uh, mentally, what Perfect brings obviously helps everyone around him. Uh, so maybe you get a little bit more out of him. I think Minter's been okay. He does for what his job is. His job is basically Ray Maluga's role. Last few years, you're an inside base linebacker. You're there to defend the run. If he gets beaten past protection, a lot of pass coverage sometimes, 
it is what it is. And I think the one touchdown where, where Glasgow ends up on the tight end is because the linebackers crashed so hard on the run fake um, and le- left the tight end wide open. Uh, um, I think it was Lance Kendricks, I believe, for the Packers. Yeah. I think that was Minter should have been over there. Uh, I could be wrong because there's a lot of traffic in the in the middle there. But, again, that's not his job. It really, or it's not his, his forte. It's not where he's going to be at his best. Vincent Ray is Vincent Ray. Jordan Evans has flashed a little bit in the limited time he's gotten. Overall, the linebackers, same issues that's always been there. I think when Burfick comes back, they should be much better. And Burfick does come back this week. Joe, the, the safeties went in and out yesterday. Sean Williams got banged up a couple times. Uh, Devontae Adams put him on skates, and he got injured there. And then uh, George Iloka went down. So overall, what did you see from the, the platoon that we saw uh, at the Bengals from sa- uh, at the safety position? And what we probably expected, I think they have, obviously, Aloka and Williams are starter quality, and I think they're good players for the most part. And I, I, I was surprised that a lot of casual fans and average fans during the season or during the offseason were, were questioning if Williams was even good. Will they even miss him? Or a lot of people don't understand Iloka's job is that deep free safety. They, they Bengals rarely get beat deep, and um, that's because of Iloka. And so a lot of times they don't show up on the stat sheet making big plays, but we feel comfortable. I think you and I have agreed in, in the offseason. Clayton Fagellum, Josh Shaw, Deron Smith, who they didn't have this week. But those three guys could probably start for a handful of teams in the league. The safety play is terrible around the NFL. If you if you go look around, they're usually putting a corner in there just to get more athleticism. There's in college, it's a, it's a it's a kind of a line, linebacker hybrid, which I think is hurting how they transition to the NFL. The Bengals have five guys they can put in and play and feel comfortable with, and I don't I don't know how many teams can say that. And it showed this this game. They threw in other guys, they got the plays, um, and they really held Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Um, Passing game to a modest game, I believe. Uh, they could have Packers can tear you up at any point, even without Randall Cobb and an offensive line banged up. They could have been much worse, and I think the safeties did their job. He's Joe Goodberry on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Obviously, Joe. Uh, last question for you: This team zero and three. What is there one thing that we haven't touched on? Maybe that they need to change because they have two winnable games now. In Cleveland, could be tough. The Browns are more improved, 0-3 as well. You know Hugh Jackson will have that team ready, but that's a winnable game. So is Buffalo at home. They have To me, they have to get to 2-3 and three before the bye. What is the one thing that needs to change maybe that we haven't touched on for them to do that, to maybe get a couple wins here before the bye and build a little momentum? Something we haven't touched on, because honestly all the things we talked about are things they should change and, and, and adjust <laughs> going forward. Yeah. Um, the one one thing we don't usually talk about, and I think it's because we've gotten numb to it over 15 years, but their aggressiveness and their play calling with less than a minute and a half going into a, a halftime or at the end of the game, I don't know what they're doing. I, still, it's like you could write down, I know exactly what they're going to do. The first play is either going to be a short pass that doesn't get out of bounds and, and they're going to try and hurry up, or it's going to be a draw play and, and they're going to try and hurry up, and then it'll be a, a – uh, an incomplete pass, and then uh, they'll try a deep shot or something. And they'll go into halftime with a, with a with a timeout or two in their pocket. And it's like it's been 15 years of the same thing over and over. It's almost as if they're trying to win every game going in. Say we're going to win by three, and they'll be happy. 
man, I watch the Patriots. I watch these other teams that are super aggressive and hyper aggressive and confident on offense. And they see 45 seconds. They see 23 seconds. The Packers did this. They did less than uh, 40 seconds, I believe, on the one drive. They ended up scoring. But they go out there with every intent to throw the ball down the field and try and score. Uh, the Bengals are giving up points and giving up opportunities, I believe, in, in those situations. Defenses play uh, uh, prevent defense. They, you, you get big zone coverages, whether they're playing deep cover two or cover uh, quarters. Um, you get an opportunity to move the ball and get some confidence in those situations. They don't even get that. Even if you don't come away with points, you might spark your offense a little bit. I'd like to see them get a little bit more aggressive in those situations. Um, I just don't know if it's in Marvin Lewis at all. And that's the thing, Joe, is like, this could be it for him. That's why they move on from a Ken Zampezi because this this is Marvin's back is against the wall here. I mean, if he goes four and twelve, I I can almost guarantee you he won't be the coach here next season. So that that loss was devastating uh, from that perspective. You would expect him if he's going to go down, you go down with your playmakers and you go down being aggressive. Go down swinging, just, yeah. Just, I mean, because that's what, like that's what Hugh Jackson does in Cleveland almost every week. I mean, he yeah. gets ripped for it. But man, at least you're you're throwing it out there and trying. Yeah, he's got Kaiser. He's not protecting Kaiser. He's out there starving Kaiser to throw forty times in a game and, and holding the ball and, and trying to get him to push it downfield. Now, I would say the Bengals did feed Green and Mixon and said, "All right, we're going to go down with our playmakers," and you went down with your playmakers. So, you know, to that point, I guess they kind of did do that. But overall, it's just aggressiveness. Overall, you just don't feel it. And at that, as soon as Perfect comes back. There's going to be a different energy, but it sucks that they're 0-3 when Burfitt comes back. Mm-hmm. Same thing, last year. You missed the first three games last year. You missed the first three games this year, and your team got out of it pretty much both times. And, you know, here's an extension for this guy that you need him in those first three games. Yeah, you could end up winning two of the next three, but 0-3 teams are bad teams, and they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, and that's the thing. When he got suspended for three games, I was worried. I didn't expect 0-3, but uh... – that is where they are. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Check out his work for Bengals Wire. Joe, as always, man, I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, James. That's Joe Goodberry. Joe's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Great stuff from him, as always. It's a big week. Battle of Ohio. Battle of 0-3 teams. I can't imagine the idea of the Bengals going 0-4. They play in Cleveland this week. I will be in the locker room on Wednesday. We're going to have a ton on the website, LockedOnBengals.com, a ton on this podcast. Subscribe, iTunes, Audio Boom, and the iHeartRadio app. Also on Twitter, at James Rapine, at LockedOnBengals. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Until tomorrow, when there's going to be a lot to digest there. I think a lot of Andy Dalton fans, after listening to Joe, were like, oh boy, they got nauseous. And the A.J. McCarron fans are like, see, I told you. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. I'm James Rapine. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Bengals podcast. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first round wild card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team 
every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.